This is Chapter 6 of Lois Lowry's The Giver. Lily, please hold still, Mother said again. Lily, standing in front of her, fidgeted impatiently. I can tie them myself, she complained. I always have. I know that, Mother replied, straightening the hair ribbons on the little girl's braids. But I also know that they can constantly come loose, and more often than not, they're dangling down by your back by the afternoon. Today, at least, we want them to be neatly tied and to stay neatly tied. I don't like hair ribbons. I'm glad I only have to wear them one more year, Lily said irritably. Next year, I get my bicycle too, she added more cheerfully. There are good things each year, Jonas reminded her. This year, you get to start your volunteer hours. And remember, last year, when you became a seven, you were so happy to get your front button jacket. The little girl nodded and looked down at herself at the jacket with its row of large buttons that designated her as a seven. Fours, fives, and sixes all wore jackets that fastened down the back so that they would have to help each other dress and would learn interdependence. The front button jacket was the first sign of independence, the very first visible symbol of growing up. The bicycle at nine would be the powerful emblem of moving gradually out into the community away from the protective family unit. Lily grinned and wriggled away from her mother. And this year, you get your assignment, she said to Jonas in an excited voice. I hope you get pilot and that you take me flying. Sure, I will, said Jonas, and I'll get a special little parachute that just fits you and I'll take you up to, oh, maybe 20,000 feet, and open the door, and... Jonas, Mother warned. I was only joking, Jonas groaned. I don't want pilot anyway. If I get pilot, I'll put in an appeal. Come on, Mother said. She gave Lily's ribbon a final tug. Jonas, are you ready? Did you take your pill? I want to get a good seat in the auditorium. She prodded Lily to the front door, and Jonas followed. It was a short ride to the auditorium, Lily waving to her friends from her seat on the back of Mother's bicycle. Jonas stowed his bicycle beside Mother's and made his way through the throng to find his group. The entire community attended the ceremony each year. For the parents, it meant two days holiday from work. They sat together in the huge hall. Children sat with their groups until they went, one by one, to the stage. Father, though, would not join Mother in the audience right away. For the earliest ceremony, the naming, the nurturers brought the new children to the stage. Jonas, from his place in the balcony with the Elevens, searched the auditorium for a glimpse of Father. It wasn't at, it wasn't at all hard to spot the nurturers' section at the front. Coming from, coming from it were the wails and howls of the new children who sat squirming on the nurturers' laps. At every other public ceremony, the audience was silent and attentive, but once a year, they all smiled indulgently at the commotion from the little ones waiting to receive their names and families. Jonas finally caught his father's eye and waved. Father grinned and waved back, then held up the hand of the new child on his lap, making it wave too. It wasn't Gabriel. Gabe was back at the nurturing center today, being cared for by the night crew. He had been given an unusual and special reprieve from the committee and granted an additional year of nurturing before his naming and placement. 
Father had gone before the committee with a plea on behalf of Gabriel, who had not yet gained the weight appropriate to his days of life, nor begun to sleep soundly enough at night to be placed with his family unit. Normally, such a new child would be labeled inadequate and released from the community. Instead, as a result of Father's plea, Gabriel had been labeled uncertain and given the additional year. He would continue to be nurtured at the center and would spend his nights with the Jonas family unit. Each family member, including Lily, had been required to sign a pledge that they would not become attached to this little temporary guest and that they would relinquish him without protest or appeal when he was assigned to his own family unit at next year's ceremony. At least, Jonas thought, after Gabriel was placed next year, they would still see him often because he would be part of the community. If he were released, they would not see him again, ever. Those who were released, even as new children, were sent elsewhere and never returned to the community. Father had not Father had not had to sign a release a single new child this year, so Gabriel would have represented a real failure and sadness. Even Jonas, though he didn't hover over the little one the way Lily and his father did, was glad that Gabe had not been released. The first company, the first ceremony, began right on time, and Jonas watched as one after another child was given a name and handed by the nurturers to his family unit. For some, it was a first child, but many came to the stage accompanied by another child beaming with pride to receive a little brother or sister, the way Jonas had when he was about to be a five. Asher poked Jonas's arm. Remember when we got Philip, when we got Philippa? He asked in a loud whisper. Jonas nodded. It had only been last year. Asher's parents had waited quite a long time before applying for a second child. Maybe, Jonas suspected, they had been so exhausted by Asher's lively foolishness that they had needed a little time. Two of their group, Fiona and another female named Thea, were missing temporarily waiting with their parents to receive new children. But it was rare that there was such an age gap between children and a family unit. When the family ceremony was completed, Fiona took the seat that had been saved for her in the row ahead of Vasher and Jonas. She turned and whispered to them, He's cute, but I don't like his name very much. She made a face and giggled. Fiona's new brother had been named Bruno. It wasn't a great name, Jonas thought, like, well, like Gabriel, for example, but it was okay. The audience applause, which was enthusiastic at each naming, rose in an exuberant swell when one parental pair, glowing with pride, took a male new child and heard him named Caleb. This new Caleb was a replacement child. The couple had lost their first Caleb, a cheerful little four. Loss of a child was very, very rare. The community was extraordinarily safe, each citizen watchful and protective of all children. But somehow, the first little Caleb had wandered away unnoticed and had fallen into the river. The entire community had performed the ceremony of loss together, murmuring the name Caleb throughout an entire day, less and less frequently, softer in volume, as the long and somber day went on, so that the little four seemed to fade away gradually from everyone's consciousness. Now, at this special naming, the community performed the brief murmur of replacement ceremony, repeating the name for the first time since the loss. 
softly and slowly at first, then faster and with greater volume, as the couple stood on the stage with the new child sleeping in the mother's arms. It was as if the first Caleb were returning. Another new child was given the name Roberto, and Jonas remembered that Roberto the Old had been released only last week. But there was no murmur of replacement ceremony for the new little Roberto. Release was not the same as loss. He sat politely through the ceremonies of two and three and four, increasingly bored as he was each year, then a break for midday meal served outdoors and back again to the seats for the fives, sixes, and sevens, and finally, last of the first day ceremonies, the eights. Jonas watched and cheered as Lily marched proudly to the stage, became an eight, and received the identifying jacket that she would wear this year, this one with smaller buttons and, for the first time, pockets, indicating that she was mature enough now to keep track of her own small belongings. She stood solemnly, listening to the speech of firm instructions on the responsibilities of eight and doing volunteer hours for the first time. But Jonas could see that Lily though she seemed attentive, was looking longingly at the row of gleaming bicycles, which would be presented tomorrow morning to the nines. Next year, Lily Billy, Jonas thought. It was an exhausting day, and even Gabriel, retrieved in his basket from the nurturing center, slept soundly that night. Finally, it was the morning of the ceremony of twelve. Now, father sat beside mother in the audience. Jonas could see them applauding dutifully as the nines, one by one, wheeled their new bicycles, each with its gleaming name tag attached to the back from the stage. He knew that his parents cringed a little, as he did, when Fritz, who lived in the dwelling next door to theirs, received his bike and almost immediately bumped into the podium with it. Fritz was a very awkward child who had been summoned for chastisement again and again. His transgressions were small ones, always, shoes on the wrong feet, schoolwork misplaced, failure to study adequately for a quiz, but each such error reflected negatively on his parents' guidance and infringed on the community's sense of order and success. Jonas and his family had not been looking forward to Fritz's bicycle, which they realized would probably too often be dropped in front of the walk instead of wheeled neatly into its port. Finally, the nines were all resettled in their seats, each having wheeled a bicycle outside where it would be waiting for its owner at the end of the day. Everyone always chuckled and made small jokes when the nines rode home for the first time. Want me to show you how to ride? Older friends would call. I know you've never been on a bike before. But invariably, the grinning nines, who in technical violation of the rule had been practicing secretly for weeks, would mount and ride off in perfect balance, training wheels never touching the ground. Then the tens. Jonas never found the ceremony of ten particularly interesting, only time-consuming as each child's hair was snipped neatly into its distinguishing cut. Females lost their braids at ten, and males too— relinquished their long childish hair and took on the more manly short style which exposed their ears. Laborers moved quickly to the stage with brooms and swept away the mounds of discarded hair. Jonas could see the parents of the new ten stir and murmur, and he knew that this evening, in many dwellings, they would be snipping and straightening the hastily done haircuts, trimming them into a neater line. Elevens. 
It seemed a short time ago that Jonas had undergone the ceremony of eleven, but he remembered that it was not one of the more interesting ones. By eleven, he was only waiting to be twelve. It was simply a marking of time with no meaningful changes. There was new clothing, different undergarments for the females whose bodies were beginning to change, and longer trousers for the males with a specially shaped pocket for the small calculator that they would use this year in school. But those were simply presented in wrapped packages without an accompanying speech. Break for midday meal. Jonas realized he was hungry. He and his groupmates congregated by the tables in front of the auditorium and took their packaged food. Yesterday, there had been merriment at lunch, a lot of teasing and energy. But today, the group stood anxiously separate from other children. Jonas watched the new nines gravitate toward their new bicycles, each one admiring his or her name tag. He saw the ten stroking their new shortened hair, the females shaking their heads to feel the unaccustomed lightness without the heavy braids they had, been, they had worn for so long. I heard about a guy who was absolutely certain he was going to be a signed engineer, Asher muttered as they ate, and instead they gave him sanitation laborer. He went out the next day, jumped into the river, swam across, and joined the next community he came to. Nobody ever saw him again. Jonas laughed. Somebody made that story up, Ash, he said. My father said he heard that story when he was 12. But Asher wasn't reassured. He was eyeing the river where it was visible behind the auditorium. I can't even swim very well, he said. My swimming instructor said that I don't have the right boyishness or something. Buoyancy, Jonas corrected him. Whatever, I don't think I have it. I sink. Anyway, Jonas pointed out, have you ever known of anyone, I mean really known for sure, Asher, not just heard a story about it, who joined another community? No. Asher admitted reluctantly. But you can. It says so in the rules. If you don't fit in, you can apply for elsewhere and be released. My mother says my mother says that once, about ten years ago, someone applied and was gone the next day. Then he chuckled. She told me that because I was driving her crazy. She threatened to apply for elsewhere. She was joking. I know, but but it was true what she said that someone did that once. She said that it was really true. Here today and gone tomorrow, never seen again, not even a ceremony of release. Jonas shrugged. It didn't worry him. He could some, how could someone not fit in? The community was so meticulously ordered, the choices so carefully made. Even the matching of spouses was given such weighty consideration that sometimes an adult who applied to receive a spouse waited months or even years before a match was approved and announced. All of the factors, disposition, energy level, intelligence, and interests had to correspond to interact perfectly. Jonas's mother, for example, had higher intelligence than his father, but his father had a calmer disposition. They balanced each other. Their match, which was like all matches, had been monitored by the Committee of Elders for three years before they could apply for children, had always been a successful one like the matching of spouses and the naming of placement of the newborn of the new children the assignments were scrupulously thought through by the committee of elders he was certain that his assignment whatever it was to be and asher's too would be the right one for them 
He only wished that the midday break would conclude that the audience would re-enter the auditorium and the suspense would end. As if in answer to his unspoken wish, the signal came and the crowd began to move toward the doors. Chapter 7 Now Jonas's group had taken a new place in the auditorium, trading with the new Elevens, so they sat in the very front immediately before the stage. They were arranged by their original numbers, the numbers they had been given at birth. The numbers were rarely used after the naming, but each child knew his number, of course. Sometimes parents used them in irritation at a child's misbehavior, indicating that mischief made one unworthy of a name. Jonas always chuckled when he heard a parent, exasperated, call sharply to a whining toddler, That's enough, 23! Jonas was 19. He had been the 19th newborn. He had been the 19th new child born his year. It had meant that at his naming, he had been already standing and bright eyed, soon to walk and talk. It had given him a slight advantage the first year or two, a little more maturity than many of his groupmates who had been born in the later months of that year, but it evened out, as it always did, by three. After three, the children progressed at much the same level, though by their first number one could always tell who was a few months older than the others in his group. Technically, Jonas's full number was 1119, since there were other 19s, of course, in each age group. And today, now that the new 11s had been advanced this morning, there were two 1119s. At the midday break, he had exchanged smiles with the new one, a shy female named Harriet. But the duplication was only for these few hours. Very soon, he would not be an, an 11, but a 12. And age would no longer matter. He would be an adult, like his parents, though a new one and still untrained. Asher was four and sat now in the row ahead of Jonas. He would receive his assignment fourth. Fiona, 18, was on the left. On his other side, at 20, a male named Pierre, whom Jonas didn't like much. Pierre was very serious, not much fun, and a worrier and a tattletale, too. Have you checked the rules, Jonas? Pierre was always whispering solemnly. I'm not sure that's within the rules. Usually it was some foolish thing that no one cared about. Opening his tunic as if it was a day with a breeze, taking a brief try on a friend's bicycle just to experience the different feel of it. The initial speech at the ceremony of 12 was made by the chief elder, the leader of the community who was elected every 10 years. The speech was much the same each year. Relocation of the time of childhood and the period of preparation, the becoming, the coming responsibilities of adult life, the profound importance of assignment, the serious training to come. Then the chief elder moved ahead in her speech. This is the time, she began looking directly at them, when we acknowledge differences. You 11s have spent all your years till now learning to fit in, to standardize your behavior, to curb any impulses that might set you apart from the group. But today we honor your differences. They have determined your futures. She began to describe this year's group and its variety of personalities, though she singled no one out by name. She mentioned that there was one who had 
singular skills at caretaking, another who loved new children, one with unusual scientific aptitude, and a fourth for whom physical labor was an obvious pleasure. Jonas shifted in his seat, trying to recognize each reference as one of his groupmates. The caretaking skills were, no doubt, those of Fiona. On his left, he remembered noticing the tenderness with which she had bathed the old. Probably the one with scientific aptitude was Benjamin, the male who had devised new important equipment for the rehabilitation center. He heard nothing that he recognized as himself, Jonas. Finally, the chief elder paid tribute to the hard work of her committee, which had performed the observation so meticulously all year. The committee of elders stood and was acknowledged by applause. Jonas noticed that Asher yawned slightly, covered his mouth and covering his mouth politely with his hand. Then at last, the chief elder called number one to the stage and the assignments began. Each announcement was lengthy, accompanied by a speech directed at the new 12. Jonas tried to pay attention as one, smiling happily, received her assignment as fish hatchery attendant, along with words of praise for her childhood spent doing so many volunteer hours there, and her obvious interest in the important process of providing nourishment for the community. Number one, her name was Madeline, returned, finally, amidst applause to her seat, wearing the new badge that designed that designated her fish hatchery attendant. Jonas was certainly glad that that assignment was taken. He wouldn't have wanted it, but he gave Madeline a smile of congratulation. When two, a female named Inger, received her assignment as birth mother, Jonas remembered that his mother had called it a job without honor, but he thought that the committee had chosen well. Inger was a nice girl that, though somewhat lazy, and her body was strong. She could enjoy the three years of being pampered that would follow her brief training. She would give birth easily and well, and the task of laborer that would follow would use her strength, keep her healthy, and impose self-discipline. Inger was smiling when she returned to her seat. Birth mother was an important job, if lacking in prestige. Jonas noticed that Asher looked nervous. He kept turning his head and glancing back at Jonas until the group leader had to give him a silent chastisement, a motion to sit still and face forward. Three, Isaac was giving was given an assignment as instructor of sixes, which obviously pleased him and was well-deserved. Now there were three assignments gone, none of them ones that Jonas would have liked, not that he could have not that he could have been birth mother anyway, he realized with amusement. He tried to sort through the list in his mind, the possible assignments that remained. But there were so many, he gave it up. And anyway, now it was Asher's turn. He paid strict attention as his friend went to the stage and stood self-consciously beside the chief elder. All of us in the community know and enjoy Asher, the chief elder began. Asher grinned and scratched one leg with the other foot. The audience chuckled softly. When the committee began to consider Asher's assignment, she went on, there were some possibilities that were immediately discarded, some that would clearly not have been right for Asher. For example, she said, smiling, we did not consider for an instant designating Asher an instructor of threes. The audience howled with laughter. Asher laughed too, looking sheepish, but pleased at the special attention. The instructors of threes were in charge of the acquisition of correct language. 
In fact, the chief elder continued, chuckling a little herself, we even gave a little thought to some retroactive chastisement for the one who had been Asher's instructor of three so long ago. At the meeting where Asher was discussed, we retold many of the stories that we all remembered from his days of language acquisition, especially, she said, chuckling, the difference between snack and smack. Remember, Asher? Asher nodded ruefully and the audience laughed aloud. Jonas did too. He remembered, though he had only been a three at the time himself, the punishment used for small children was a regulated system of smacks with a discipline wand, a thin, flexible weapon that stung painfully when it was wielded. The child care specialists were trained very carefully in the discipline methods, a quick smack across the hands for a bit of minor misbehavior, three sharper smacks on the bare legs for a second offense. Poor Asher who always talked too fast and mixed up words, even as a toddler. As a three, eager for his juice and crackers at snack time, he had one day said, smack, instead of snack, as he stood waiting in line for the morning treat. Jonas remembered it clearly. He could still see little Asher wiggling with impatience in the line. He remembered the cheerful voice call out, I want my smack! The other threes, including Jonas, had laughed nervously. Snack, they corrected. You meant snack, Asher, but the mistake had been made. And precision of language was one of the most important tasks of small children. Asher had asked for a smack. The discipline wand in the hand of the childcare worker whistled as it came down across Asher's hands. Asher whimpered, cringed, and corrected himself instantly. Snack, he whispered. But the next morning he had done it again, and again the following week. He couldn't seem to stop, though for each lapse the disciplined one came again, escalating to a series of painful lashes that left marks on Asher's legs. Eventually, for a period of time, Asher stopped talking altogether when he was a three. For a while, the chief elder said, relating the story, we had a silent Asher, but he learned. She turned to him with a smile. When he began to talk again, it was with great it was with greater precision, and now his lapses are very few. He corrections his corrections and apologies are very prompt, and his good humor is unfailing. The audience murmured in agreement. Asher's cheerful dis disposition was well known throughout the community. Asher, she lifted her voice to make the official announcement. We have given you the assignment of assistant director of recreation. She clipped on his new badge as he stood beside her, beaming. Then he turned and left the stage as the audience cheered. When he had taken his seat again, the chief elder looked down at him and said the words that she had said now four times and would say to each new twelve. Somehow she gave it a special meaning for each of them. Asher, she said, thank you for your childhood. The assignments continued, and Jonas watched and listened, relieved now by the wonderful assignment his best friend had been given. But he was more and more apprehensive as his own approached. Now the new twelve, the new twelves in the row ahead, had all received their badges. They were fingering them as they sat, and as Jonas knew that each one was thinking about the training that lay ahead. For some, one studious male had been selected as doctor, a female as engineer, another for law and justice. It would be years of hard work and study. Others, like laborers and birth mothers, would have a much shorter training period. Eighteen, Fiona on his left, was called. 
Jonas knew she must be nervous, but Fiona was a calm female. She had been sitting quietly, serenely throughout the ceremony. Even the applause, though enthusiastic, seemed serene when Fiona was given the important assignment of caretaker of the old. It was perfect for such a sensitive, gentle girl, and her smile was satisfied and pleased when she took her seat beside him again. Jonas prepared himself to walk to the stage when the applause ended and the chief elder picked up the next folder and looked down to the group to call forward the next twelve. He was calm now that his turn had come. He took a deep breath and smoothed his hair with his hand. Twenty, he heard her voice say clearly. Pierre! She skipped me, Jonas thought, stunned. Had he heard wrong? No. There was a sudden hush in the crowd, and he knew that the entire community realized that the chief elder had moved from 18 to 20, leaving a gap. On his right, Pierre, with a startled look, rose from his seat and moved to the stage. A mistake. She made a mistake. But Jonas knew, even as he had the thought, that she hadn't. The chief elder made no mistakes, not at the ceremony of twelve. He felt dizzy and couldn't focus his attention. He didn't hear what assignment Pierre received and was only dimly aware of the applause as the boy returned, wearing his new badge. Then, twenty-one, twenty-two. The numbers continued in order, in order. Jonas sat dazed as they moved into the thirties and then the forties, nearing the end. Each time, at each announcement, his heart jumped for a moment, and he thought wild thoughts. Perhaps now she would call his name. Could he have forgotten his own number? No, he, he had always been 19. He was sitting in the seat marked 19. But she had skipped him. He saw the others in his group glance at him, embarrassed, and then avert their eyes quickly. He saw a worried look on the face of his group leader. He haunched his shoulders and tried to make himself smaller in his seat. He wanted to disappear, to fade away, not to exist. He didn't dare turn to find his parents in the crowd. He couldn't bear to see their faces darkened with shame. Jonas bowed his head and searched through his mind. What had he done wrong? Chapter 8 The audience was clearly ill at ease. They applauded the final assignment, but the applause was piecemeal, no longer a crescendo of united enthusiasm. They were murmurs of confusion. Jonas moved his hands together, clapping, but it was an automatic, meaningless gesture that he wasn't even aware of. His mind had shut out all the earlier emotions, the anticipation, excitement, pride, and even the happy kinship with his friends. Now he felt only humiliation and and terror. The chief elder waited until the uneasy applause subsided. Then she spoke again. I know, she said in, in her vibrant, gracious tone, that you are all concerned, that you feel I have made a mistake. She smiled, the community relieved from its discomfort, very slightly by her benign statement, seemed to breathe more easily. It was very silent. Jonas looked up. I have caused you anxiety, she said. I apologize to my community. Her voice flowed over the assembled crowd. We accept your apology, they all uttered together. Jonas, she said, looking down at him. I apologize to you in particular. I caused you anguish. I accept your apology, Jonas replied shakily. 
please come to the stage now. Earlier that day, dressing in his own dwelling, he had practiced this kind of jaunty, self-assured walk that he hoped he could make to the stage when his turn came. All of that was forgotten now. He simply willed himself to stand, to move his feet that felt weighted and clumsy to go forward, up to the steps and across the platform until he stood at her side. Reassuringly, she placed her arm across his tense shoulders. Jonas has not been assigned, she informed the crowd, and his heart sank. Then she went on, Jonas has been selected. He blinked. What did that mean? He felt the collective questioning stir from the audience. They, too, were puzzled. In a firm, commanding voice, she announced, Jonas has been selected to be our next receiver of memory. Then he heard the gasp, the children intake of breath, drawn sharply in astonishment by each of the seated citizens. He saw their faces, the eyes widened in awe, and still he did not understand. Such a selection is very, very rare. The chief elder told the audience, our community has has had only one receiver. It is he who trains his successor. We have had our current receiver for a very, very long time, she went on. Jonas followed her eyes and saw that she was looking at one of the elders. The committee of elders was sitting together in a group, and the chief elder's eyes were now on the one who sat in the midst, but seemed oddly separate from them. It was a man Jonas had never noticed before, a bearded man with pale eyes. He was watching Jonas intently. We failed in our last election, the chief elder said solemnly. It was ten years ago when Jonas was just a toddler. I will not dwell on the experience because it causes us all terrible discomfort. Jonas didn't know what she was referring to, but he could sense the discomfort of the audience. They shifted uneasily in their seats. We have not been hasty this time, she continued. We could not afford another failure. Sometimes, she went on, speaking now in a lighter tone, relaxing the tension in the auditorium. We are not entirely certain about the, about the assignments, even after the most painstaking observations. Sometimes we worry that the one assigned might not develop, through training, every attribute necessary. Elevens are still children, after all. What we observe as playfulness and patience, the requirements to become nurturers could, with maturity, be revealed as simply foolishness and indolence. So we continue to observe during training and to modify behavior when necessary. But the receiver in training cannot be observed, cannot be modified. That is stated quite clearly in the rules. He is to be alone, apart, while he is prepared by the current receiver for the job which is the most honored in our community. Alone, apart, Jonas listened with increasing unease. Therefore, the selection must be sound. It must be a unanimous choice of the committee. They can have no doubts, however fleeting. If, during the process, an elder reports a dream of uncertainty, that dream has the power to set a candidate aside instantly. Jonas was identified as a possible receiver many years ago. We have observed him meticulously. There were no dreams of uncertainty. He has shown all the qualities uh, all the qualities that a receiver must have. With her hand still firmly on his shoulder, the chief elder listed the qualities. Intelligence, she said. We are all aware that Jonas has been a top student throughout his school days. Integrity, she said next. Jonas has, like all of us, 
committed minor transgressions. She smiled at him. We accept that. We hoped also that he would present himself promptly for chastisement, and he has always done so. Courage, she went on. Only one of us here today has ever undergone the rigorous training required of a receiver. He, of course, is the most important member of the committee, the current receiver. It was he who reminded us again and again of the courage required. Jonas, she said, turning to him, but speaking in a voice that the entire community could hear, the training required of you involves pain, physical pain. He felt fear flutter within him. You have never experienced that. Yes, you have scraped your knees and falls from your bicycle. Yes, you crushed your finger in a door last year. Jonas nodded, agreeing as he recalled the incident and its accompanying misery. But you will be faced now, she said gently, with pain of a magnitude that none of us here can comprehend because it is beyond our experience. The receiver himself was not able to describe it, only to remind us that you would be faced with it, that you would need immense courage. We cannot prepare you for that. But we feel certain that you are brave, she said to him. He did not feel brave at all, not now. The fourth essential attribute, the chief elder said, is wisdom. Jonas has not yet acquired that. The acquisition of wisdom will come through his training. We are convinced that Jonas has the ability to acquire wisdom. That is what we looked for. Finally, the receiver must have one more quality, and it is one which I can only name but not describe. I do understand it. I do not understand it. You members of the committee will not understand it either. Perhaps Jonas will, because the current receiver has told us that Jonas already has this quality. He calls it the capacity to see beyond. The chief elder looked at Jonas with a question in her eyes. The audience watched him too. They were silent. For a moment, he froze, consumed with despair. He didn't have it, but whatever she had said, he didn't know what it was. Now was the moment when he would have to confess, to say, no, I don't, I can't, and throw himself on their mercy, ask their forgiveness, to explain that he had been wrongly chosen, that he was not the right one at all. But when he looked out across the crowd, the sea of faces, the thing happened again, the thing that had happened with the apple. They changed. He blinked, and it was gone. His shoulders straightened slightly. Briefly, he felt a tiny sliver of sureness for the first time. She was still watching him. They, they all were. I think it's true, he told the chief elder and the committee. I don't understand it yet. I don't know what it is, but sometimes I see something and, and maybe it's beyond. She took her arm from his shoulders. Jonas, she said, speaking to him, not alone, but to the entire community of which he was a part, you will be trained to be our next receiver of memory. We thank you for your childhood. Then she turned and left the stage, left him, left him there alone, standing and facing the crowd, which began spontaneously the collective murmur of his name. Jonas, it was a whisper at first, hushed, barely audible. Jonas, Jonas, then louder, faster, Jonas, Jonas, Jonas. With the chant, Jonas knew the community was accepting him and his new role, giving him life the way they had given it to the new child, Caleb. His heart swelled with gratitude and pride. But at the same time, he was filled with fear. He did not know what his selection meant. He did not know what he was to become or 
what would become of him. You have just heard Lois Lowry's The Giver, chapters six through eight. Thank you guys so much for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. And as you await the future chapters of this wonderful book, I encourage you to please check out the link in the episode details to my store if you're interested in Carla Reads the Classics merch. Got some great stuff there for you. Again, thank you again for listening here at Carla Reads the Classics. And come on back and let's do some more listening to The Giver. Until next time.